Pastor Mike, and all of you. It's actually wonderful to be here this morning. Um, a real, a real joy and delight. Thank you, Andrew. You enough to put anyone in a good mood, I tell you. <laughs> Before we start, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for every person here. And I just ask that you would give us the words to touch every heart with your message. Through your precious name, amen. amen. So when Pastor Mike and Pastor Carol and Pastor Andrew asked us to come and share about Working Mindset, which is the, the last in your series, your frontline series, um, we were absolutely delighted because this is an area of huge passion for us. We believe that whether you're the, the, a CEO of a company, an entrepreneur, running your, your own small business, an artist, a creative person, a designer, a sportsman, a student, even Zach at school, everybody needs a mindset to thrive. So you're going to have to operate on signal. Thank you. Next. Next. So, okay, we're going well here. <laughs> so, in terms of the challenge of working mindset, I framed it like this. We've chosen to frame it like this. I'm a little bit of a, a from-to junkie. So, uh, are you too? Yes. Okay. So, it's really how do we go from feeling at work in what we do like just a resource. I just work here. Um, two, feeling like a purposeful, passionate world changer. So let me give you a little bit of context about that just a resource feeling. Um, when I was 10 years old, I dreamed of winning Wimbledon. I didn't, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> but I did get a scholarship to an American university when I was 18, um, and that was great for me. I, I made it onto the team. I made it to number one. I was playing fantastic tennis. Um, and for the first time, our, the, our team in, in, the, in the league that we played in the conference, we had a chance of actually winning it. Um, everything was going fantastically, except I picked up a small little injury, a small niggle down my leg, actually sciatica. Um, and I just, you know, I thought, oh, this is just minor. I tried to ignore it away. That didn't really help. So then I started popping the pain pills. And then before long, I was getting a Voltaren injection into my back before every match. And that worked fine until it didn't. And of course, it was the day of the big final. I had my usual shot, went onto the court, warmed up. The pain receded like it usually did. And then something else happened. Not only was I feeling no pain, I was also feeling no leg. So my whole, because of nerve damage, my whole um, leg had gone numb. Now you can imagine walking in this condition is quite challenging. Playing tennis is impossible. But I looked across the court and there I saw at the far side of the court my coach, Chris Langdon, and I thought, he'll know what to do. He's got my best interest at heart. You know, he'll, he'll be with me in this. So I made my way over to him, uh, told him what had happened, and his response was, you better pull yourself together um, and, 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 and do something about this unless you want to lose your scholarship. And you know, the pain of that moment was not actually the, the physical pain, the mental anguish of thinking, you know, was this the end of my dream? But it was actually the realization that in that moment, to him, I was just a resource and not a particularly useful one at that. 
And you know, I've worked in many industries. I've worked with gold miners, I've worked with uh, designers and artists in advertising. Um, and we also, in the business that we uh, work in together, Thinkspiration, we work with CEOs and their teams, as well as people on the shop floor and rock drill operators. And you know, if I had a rand, or maybe let's, let's hedge it and let's say a dollar, for every time I've heard that I'm just a resource statement from that whole array of people, I think I would have piled up more cash than had I won Wimbledon in the first place. So it's really a, it's a pervasive problem in the workplace um, that people are feeling, next, thank you. Feeling really disillusioned with work. You know, we, we spend so much time there. When we're not there, we think about it, we stress about it, we're worrying about it. But for many of us, work is nothing more than a four-letter word. It's something to one day be free of, something to one day escape from. Um, and that's not how it's meant to be. Just, just the other day, I bumped into a, another school mom in the parking lot, Liesl. Um, and she had just resigned, she's just resigned from a big job, corporate banking job, big title, big salary, all of that. And I wanted to find out, you know, how's it going? How's it going with, with the new life? And firstly, she looked like a totally different person. She looked 10 years younger. She said, you know, I'm just loving this. I'm feeling back to myself. I know who I am. But she said, here's the best thing. I don't have to wake up every morning and think, who is going to destroy me today? And I, I mean, that is just a, a terrible, tragic reality that we're facing in the corporate world in those toxic environments. Yeah. Next. I get it, you look at me a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> he obviously is a key person for that men's camp. He needs to go, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so, we actually measure this problem. It's not just anecdotal. Gallup measure what we call engagement. Um, and they've been measuring it for quite a long time, probably about 15 years. It hasn't really improved. So what they find is that in the workplace, only 13% of employees are engaged, meaning they love what they do, they're going to go the extra mile, they're going to put in the hours, they're going to problem solve, all is, all is good. Um, and actually, that means that 87% of employees are somewhere on that spectrum of disengagement, meaning they are at the far end, you know, actively sabotaging um, and sort of in the middle, in the middle part, just like dead weights, planning for that, when am I ever going to leave kind of thing. Now, I'm quite a, a practical person, so this is how I think about that, is that on any given Monday morning, this means that only 13% of people wake up feeling like, if you can play the sound clip, thank you. So only 13% wake up feeling like this. There are obviously some people in the 13%, although this is Sunday, not Monday. So <laughs> yeah, it doesn't... So that means that 87% of people wake up feeling like this. If you can play the second one, please. I've come to talk with you again. Just another manic Monday. So on that depressing note, it's over to my 
happened. So uh, this quote is a true tragedy. Most of us go to the graves with our music still inside us. That can't be. That's not how God meant it to be. That's not what work is supposed to be. So if you sleep 10 hours a day like my beautiful wife, that's probably why she's beautiful, and you do the sums, and you say on average you spend 10, 10 and a half hours in the car on the way to work, then about half of your awake time is spent at work. So clearly it's meant to be more than just a dread, more than just a, a sentence, a, a prison service. So it's a simple diagram. It's not a proper Venn diagram. I didn't cum laude anything, and I haven't been to business school. So this is two-dimensional for a minor. <laughs> She's so blessed when you did that, Mike. I'm going to eat out on that one for years. I mean, really, I'm going to look up what cum means, cum laude. Whew. Where's the summa? There's a summa in front of cum laude missing. Huh? Um, so, cum laude. <laughs> um, they only gave us two and a half hours for this sermon. So, Andrew, can you please give us space to um, work here? So, uh, so, we want to talk a little bit about that overlap area, the meaningful work. You know, where what we do for income is also aligned with our calling, with purpose, with what we meant to do. Now, clearly, we are not raising Zach to one day go into a sentence at work. I mean, none of us raise our kids for that. We all actually want our kids to have meaningful work. In the meantime, are we doing what we should do to change the world of work so that for the next generation it's more meaningful? Now, I think, in my mind, this is the hugest responsibility on anybody in any leadership position. But let me pause and ask, just to see you're still awake. Who of you here are currently in a leadership position? Okay, I'm, I'm going to have to ask again because I think half of you didn't hear. <laughs> Who of you here are currently in a leadership position? All of us. Guys, there's not a relationship where you are not in a position of influence. Come on. How's that different from leadership? So leadership is not down. Leadership is not only sideways. Leadership is any relationship of influence that you are in. You are in a position of leadership. If you've got kids and you didn't put up your hands, I really want you to think that through. We are leading our kids. So leadership, you are in it. So don't leave it for one day when you're the CEO. Because I tell you and I promise you, if you're not a fully developed, rounded leader, by the time you get to be a CEO, you're going to be a horrific one. This is not a confession, although I was probably quite a horrific one. Um, so I know... We don't come from a shared background. We come from very different backgrounds. And if you're on Twitter, you would like to think we will never have a shared future. However, as much as my background was very unique and specific, by the time I matriculated with a decent matric, I had zero chance of going to university unless I got a bursary. I tried all the things I wanted to do. And in the end, because I was white and male, there were more mining engineering Bursaries available than candidates. That's how I became a mining engineer. There was no science. There was no... However, I've had an amazing, blessed career with that as a starting point. But it's not always nice. There are times in your career where you have to have the focus on where you're going 
so that working night shift underground in the mine, which is not particular fun, also makes sense. It, it's a stepping stone. It takes you forward. So I think very importantly for me is this daily bread and daily meaning and constantly reminding ourselves where the overlap of that area is. That's how you go through the tougher times, and ultimately that's how whatever you do takes you towards your uh, godly purpose. I want to spend a little bit of time um, talking about the discrepancy between what science knows and what we as business do. Now, I'm not a, uh, a qualified psychologist. I love reading about neuroscience. I love reading about uh, the science of, 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 of management and leadership. You should read my wife's book on leadership. It's the ultimate one. Um, <laughs> you, uh, psychology, behavioral sciences, all these things tell us what is it that gets people to be in a good place, in a good space? What makes work meaningful? And then, as business, we're going to do exactly the opposite. <laughs> we don't do something slightly off target. We do exactly the opposite. Wow. Now, we'll talk to you about a few things, but one of, one of the key things in my life is I know when I'm trusted. I mean, God gives us free will. Isn't that trust? In any relationship where you trust it, you respond accordingly. If you trust your child, he or she responds accordingly. Your partner, your business partner, your colleague, your subordinate, your boss. And so, as businesses, we do exactly the opposite of sending a message of trust. If you sign in, you're not really trusted. Huh? If you've got a leave form, okay, yeah, well, just in case you can't count, we'll count on your behalf whether you bring your sort of, you know, performance management. Huh? Let's get going there. I mean, who of you have had a pleasant performance management experience? My wife is still traumatized. <laughs> I'm working with her on that. She's actually great, isn't she? <laughs> I would say nine out of ten. Ooh, I just blew it. I just blew it there. <laughs> no, guys, so um, we're going to move on to that and talk about that. Um, but let me get to, just before you, you think we are talking at you as business people and tell you how we anchor this uh, presentation, which is a sermon in Romans 12, verses two, verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I mean... How profound was it that this morning we were challenged to focus on God's goodness. And if we focus on God's goodness, his strengths will become our strengths. And I'm coming back to talk about our emphasis and focus on uh, strength. So for me, I don't think where you are now in your life, you want to conform to the point that it helps you to climb the corporate ladder. There are times when you actually say yes, sir, no, sir. I don't agree, sir, but I will shut up and do it, sir. I know. I promise you, if you come through the mining industry, you've done a lot of that. But please, I think our challenge is we want to get to the top in a way that we can actually thrive. So I'm just going to hand it back over to Trace. Sir. Thank you. So as Bernard said, there's, there's a complete discrepancy, a disconnect between what science proves and knows and what business does. Um, lots of research from psychology, neuroscience, social science about what we need to do to create a mindset, 
um, that helps everybody thrive. Just one piece of research that we felt was particularly relevant that we wanted to pull out for this morning was this piece. This, this was conducted by a Yale psychologist. Um, she did hundred, hundreds and hundreds of interviews. And basically what she found is that people see what they do in three specific ways. So they either see it as a job, a chore for a paycheck. You know, that's kind of like I'm doing this, but like when am I going on holiday again? Counting the days. They see it as a career which is they want to make progress um, and earn and advance and succeed, or they see what they do as a calling, an end in itself for the greater good. It draws on strengths, and it's, it's contributing to your meaning and purpose. Now, two very interesting findings out of this research. The first one is it's not what you do that counts. It's how you see what you do that counts. Mindset determines meaning. In other words, there can be a doctor that sees what he does as a chore. There can be a janitor that sees what she does as a calling. It's how you see what you do that makes the difference. And then guess who are the most successful, the most effective, the most thriving, the most everything are the people that see what they do as a calling. There's no doubt about that. They put in the extra mile. They are the 13% the, the that wake up every day feeling, you know, this is going to be the best day of my life. So this, um, if you can just press to the next one. Thanks. Yeah. So this little model is something um, that I based my book on. Sort of I, I gathered all the research that I could and formulated together and really put together a model of what is it that we need more of in the workplace to thrive. Um, and, and this is really what comes out of that. So in, in my mind and in our minds, this is almost a, a little bit of a snapshot of the ideal working mindset. This is the, the basis of the book, and there's a lot of detail in the book. But basically what we need more of is we need more play. We need more trust. We need more love. Yes, love. I actually, when we talk about this in business schools, we actually use the L word, as we call it. <laughs> they all almost pass out, you know. Um, we need more strengths, more focus on strengths. We need more focus on progress and not so much focus on just measuring numbers. And we need to put it into practice. Now, I'm sure you can tell I could talk about this for days and days. So, <laughs> Andrew's passing out here in the front here. So what we wanted, we asked ourselves, you know, what is the, the one thing out of all those six elements, what is the one thing that, that has disproportionate impact on the other, on all the rest? And for us, that is a strengths-focused working mindset. A strengths-focused working mindset focuses on all that is good, what is going right. Um, and, and it's just so, I mean, you know, God is... is is just designing this message based on, on the songs and, and the, the word that was, that was given earlier by Sam. So what does the Bible say about a strengths-focused working mindset? Well, it says we are created in God's image. We are unique. Our, we are as unique as our fingerprints are. We are all different. God has put specific gifts and talents into each one of us that we are called to actually live out as part of our purpose and calling. And we are part of a bigger whole. We all need to come together to make up a whole. It's not all in one person. 
So we love these two scriptures, um, Galatians 6 verses 4. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Then, just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. So it's not just the neuroscience, it's not just the research, it's actually the best source ever, it's in the Bible, telling us to do this. Next thing. So back to reality. What goes wrong? What do we do currently? Well, there's a really prevailing, predominant mentality, I think, in, in business, that we have to fix what's wrong rather than build on what's right. Bernard mentioned it. He knows how wounded I am, but I've never had a good performance appraisal. Not good to me. I mean, I don't know if any, I hope it's not just me, because otherwise, <laughs> otherwise I need healing, okay? But I've never left there feeling like a passionate, purposeful world changer, because we spend all the time talking about my really bad IT skills, which Mike can attest to, okay? <laughs> from, from earlier this morning setting up, or my lack of admin skills, not the things that I've got that God's put in me that I can use to change the world. Um, and and I, I'm not, we, we don't mean to bash performance management. It's a prevailing mentality. It's an ideology. And I think the problem with it is, is that there's a, almost a one-size-fits-all type mentality. So we all put into a box. And what does that do? That leads to comparison. That I'm, I'm a five and you're kind of a four and, and he's a six. What does that do? Leads to insecurity. What does that do? It leads to politics. It leads to toxic, all the stuff that we, a lot of us in corporate and, and even not so corporate experience. Um, it's not good. Um, even if you give me 11 out of 10, and I mean, my family know this. They never give me a score, you know. <laughs> but it's, it's not, whatever number we, we give each other, when you reduce to a scorecard, it's dehumanizing. It's not, it's just looking at one dimension. It's not the way God wants it to be. And you know, the result of this type of men mentality and, and ideology, well, look at where we are with engagement, 13%. In fact, a lot of, just in terms of performance management, a lot of companies, Google, Microsoft, GE, who started the whole thing, are actually completely changing the way they do things and, and looking to now focus more on people's strengths. Thank you, Trace. Um, that was a 20 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> She's still not happy, Pastor Andrew. <laughs> um, if we uh, dwell a little bit on, uh, on, on why we feel so strong about a strength-focused uh, working mindset. So the benefits. Is there anybody here who doesn't have those things that they really enjoy? In time, you're good at it. Well, things that you're good at, you actually enjoy it. It is an absolute natural, it's part of our DNA. Now, to me, as a businessman, as a business leader, that just sounds smart. To utilize and to build on what people are good at. 
in a, in a family business, you see that often. You see how natural roles find, you know, uh, people find their natural roles, but it doesn't sit comfortable with Patterson grading, and it doesn't sit comfortable with HR management, and it doesn't sit comfortable. So we have to have rules which actually inhibits us. Um, just stay in your lane. I mean, I tell you, Galatians 6, I'm going to print it everywhere and put it up. You know, can you imagine if you were allowed to, for eight hours a day, just do that which you're good at, you stay in your lane, you don't actually care, you don't have to worry about what other people do, um, you don't have to compare yourself to somebody. There's no, I'm a little bit better, I'm a little bit worse. It is when the magic happens and what uh, God puts us on earth for really gets fulfilled. The, uh, map out the route to our purpose and destiny. We all know people who say, you know, God will provide. And then whilst I lie on the couch and I just play a little bit more on my iPad. And I mean, yeah, no, clearly I think God wants us to be actively working, to be deliberate in our way to our destiny. And if your destiny, if you've got a clear view of who you are, what your strengths are, and if you don't, it's simple. Ask yourself, what are you enjoying? What is it that you like? And work with that. I promise you. It, you are 90% there. If you are honest with yourself and you say, what do I really like? What, what is it that when I do this, I feel good? Yeah. Work with that. Yeah. You are definitely in your destiny, en route to your destiny. Um, in my own career, I've had three objectives. I never set, set uh, you can, I mean, I told you I became a mining engineer because I could find a bursary. After the second year, I had a final attempt to change directions, but they still wouldn't give me an industrial engineering bursary, so I stuck with that. But as, it, as, I, as I left the varsity, I had three-year objectives. I thought, if I do this, I work on this, you know, not work on it as and change myself, but, you know, work towards this. In three years, I could be there. In three years, I could be there. Can I tell you, I met and beat all of those objectives. So I didn't set out to be a CEO of a mining company. Towards later in my life, I thought, my gosh, it looks like I could one day be the CEO of a company. And so there's a compelling logic of working with your strengths. There's a compelling logic with having milestones towards your, uh, your, your ultimate calling. And then, of course, God's timing is better than ours. It's always better than ours. The times that I thought I was ready and a boss didn't think so, guess what? God was right. The <laughs> boss was still wrong sometimes. God's always right. Um, so I want to move on um, because Trace and I really suffer from we can keep you here for the day. Um, what we focus on grows. Now, that's true in your relationship. I mean, if you have known Trace and I for the, I nearly made a mistake of saying how many years we've been married. For the few years we've been married. No. <laughs> 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 it's quite a few years now, you know. The, uh, but if in your uh, if in your closest relationship, and hopefully for most of us it's our life partner, but for all of us we are in close relationships with our with our children. If you focus on their strengths, if you focus on why did I fall in love with this amazing woman, you know what? She's more amazing than when I fell in love with her. She truly is, and I see that. And I say that, and I remember to say that, and I say that to myself, even when she really does something um, not so amazing sometimes. <laughs> I can't think of an example now. 
What you focus on grows. I mean, a completely irrelevant other example is recently I had to replace a car. I hate buying a motor car. It is value destruction. It's, there is nothing I hate more. And I've had my Prado for six years, and it's had its 120,000 Ks, and I had to replace it reluctantly. So we drive up to the Prado garage and drive out with the Prado. You can see, very <laughs> passion. <laughs> so the same white one. Nobody, no <laughs> nobody, yeah, nobody noticed that I've got a new car. But I know I'm driving a new Prado, a white one. Guess what? It's like every second car on the road is a white Prado. Yeah, yeah. It's just an awareness, and suddenly you see it, and suddenly you can't not see a Prada. Yeah. Now, why don't we do that with things that are important, not white Pradas? Why don't we do that with the people in our lives, the loved ones, their strengths, the good? The more you focus on something, the more you see it, the more it grows. It is really as simple as that. Uh, I want to talk briefly about teams and teamwork, because if you run in your lane, then you soon realize, you know what, in this race, I may need other people around me. You know, if you are there to do your bit and you want to do that well, you actually find it easier to acknowledge other people's sort of contribution. Now, many years ago, in a book that uh, was written about Francois Pinard. Now, Francois Pinard was a young rugby captain in the days when the Transvaal Rugby Union was useless. He became the captain and then he famously went on to be the captain of the Springboks that won the, our first World Cup, the one uh, in, in South Africa. And when he got to the then Transvaal, which now would be the some lines, the Golden Lions. I'm not a Lions supporter, so I don't know the, those guys. You know, I think they play in red, and they play against my team sometimes. But he got he got to this bunch of losers, serial losers. You know what he did? He had them in the in the locker room, and let's say there were a squad of 25 people. I wouldn't know. And he made each guy stand up, and he made everybody and the rest of the squad say what they see in this guy, which is amazing. They spoke to that guy's strength. So the fly-off would stand up, and they would go around, and the first guy would say, this is the guy with the best hand skills I've ever had the privilege of playing against. And the next guy would say, this is a fearsome tackler. He tackles like no, or whatever. And from that point on, this team started to improve, to win, they won the Curry Cup for the first time in many years, and they were the bulk of the team that went, uh, went on under his leadership and won the World Cup. Yeah. Same people, yeah. different approach, focus on strengths, on. help people to say awesome. what you are good at, why you are here, and suddenly people want to perform up to that level. Awesome. Um, it is really sometimes as simple as that. Um, I somewhere I have to hand back to my wife, that always worries me. Uh, she wants me to say more. <laughs> <laughs> now, when we have this sermon like we are passionate about this stuff, chat with corporates and with CEOs, oh, they say, yeah, but, eh? yeah, but, you know, I mean, yes, we hear this, but what about complacency? You know, I unfortunately know my people so well that I do know their weaknesses. I mean, you know, you know. I can't do this because this, you know, I mean, I already have a problem that my best team member is already quite boastful and, you know, isn't this just going to make him more, you know, uh, more prideful, you know. Um, I mean, when, when, we, when we have these conversations at, at some of our campus uh, uh, congregations and so on, often there's a discomfort, but isn't this not Christian? Aren't we also meant to deal with our weaknesses, our sins and confess? 
Yes, guys, of course. But what we're saying is if you're in the image of God, if God, think how God looks at you. Think what God sees. Now, why is that not good for us to also look at you like that? Why can't I look at her exactly like God looks at her? With absolute love, with pride, with she's the best. He made her. She's the best thing I've ever met and had the privilege of being with. There's nothing unchristian about a strength focus. It is not unbiblical. I really don't think so. And very importantly, all the pastors agree with me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> if Carol was here, if Pastor Carol was here, I would have checked to see if she agrees with me. But <laughs> now, again, in a team, Tracy has confessed to some of our obvious weaknesses. So if she does anything IT-related, it's not a bad idea to have something with slightly better IT skills around. That's why Zach travels with us. <laughs> he is in a different league when it comes to IT skills than his two parents. So the way you address weaknesses is not to sit Andrew down and say, Andrew, you are pathetically bad at, or, or specifically bad at this. Clearly, you supplement that with a, a skill, somebody else who is you know, specifically gifted in that area. If we could kill comparative nonsense at school, if we could, could leave, it is meant to be for sport. It's meant to be my team beat you t your team. It's not meant for anything that is important. It's not meant to weigh me up relative to you. And so you will never ever convince me that performance management in an organization takes us forward. The sooner we kill it, the sooner we will have human organizations celebrating people's uh, strengths. Um, I'm not going to say anything about the performance management systems of the church either. I'm just going to move on swiftly now. Um, so when we know who we are, we can actually relax. We can stop competing and we can stop trying up. Think of your team, think of the people you work with. Wouldn't you want to work with people like that? Wouldn't you want to be surrounded with people like that? Strength focus, working mindset. So what is the new pattern we are um, suggesting? For this to work, we should actually help our kids from a young age to uh, know themselves, to understand, and to grow their strengths. So the debate whether everybody needs math, it's an interesting debate. As a businessman, I would love everybody to have a good maths matric certificate. <coughs> but if a child is not good at math, and therefore he or she gets labeled as a struggler, a this, a that, or whatever, what are we doing? I have challenged us all. We are in some relationship of influence, so we are leaders. Why don't you test in that relationship whether you can actually seek out people's strengths? You get that through a little bit of attention and through listening. If you spend 20 minutes with a cup of coffee between you and a person, or two cups preferably, because yeah. I don't share my coffee. Um, <laughs> you've spent 30 minutes in, in a coffee conversation with somebody and the other person spoke for 25 minutes, you would have a very good idea of that person and he or her strength. This, this is not rocket science, guys. This is really simple, easy stuff. 
And then, of course, if we uh, appreciate people's strength, now, as a businessman, I can then leverage it. Leverage sounds awful now, but I can use it. But I can make my team win. Yeah. I can win a World Cup. It's still me who gets into the Sunday Times as the CEO. But you can actually be a successful team if you can build on people's strengths. Huh? And lastly, from my side, the results. So the same uh, Gallup-type um, research, again by Gallup. So in companies where they found that companies had an obsession on focusing on people's strengths, engagement levels are suddenly 59% higher. So 60% of your people are now the real deal, yeah. bringing all of, all of their strength. I mean, that just sounds smart to me. Productivity skyrockets, and most importantly, especially as we go forward, the creativity yeah. is dramatically different, three times more creativity. And the workplace of the future is going to be dependent on creativity, not on math or engineering or whatever. So. Thank you. So, as we close, just to recap, we've, we've seen that right now in the workplace, there's anything but a strengths-focused working mindset or a, a productive working mindset. But, as we've shown, there's hope. There's evidence coming out of all the scientific research. There's a blueprint, a biblical blueprint, we can change the way we do things, and we believe that even if you just focus on a strengths-focused working mindset, there are huge benefits. Um, so, just in closing, let's remember that Jesus died on the cross for us. Not for us to go through our 40-hour work week, getting through, plodding on, enduring. Thank goodness it's Friday. He died on the cross for us to be passionate, purposeful world changers who wake up every morning saying to ourselves, I'm not going to sing, this is going to be the best day of my life. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Please stay. I just want to have one question or two questions on behalf of the congregation, which I wrote down. Um, and then I'm, I'll, I'll get us to pray together. Um, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, just to clarify on this, how do you create an alignment between a company that employs someone to fulfill a specific role versus what they are good at and their passion? So how do you create that alignment between the company's strategic vision and value and mission versus the person's, you know, strengths, where they're going. How, how do you align the two? If I employ you to do the following and you are not strong at doing the following. I, I'll just go first and say I always thought as a leader, my job was to give hope. My job was to give a clear view of a future, something that makes people want to be there. Now, remember, I come from gold mining. Yeah. So not much to work with, uh, if you were to believe the world. And yet, I thought it is some spectacular come together. It can only be done if 40,000 people work together. We can only succeed. And I painted such a clear picture, and Tracy's book will tell you she taught me how to do that. But I painted such a clear picture of that future 
that anybody who wanted to could see their role in it. Then, I don't do the paternalistic thing. I'm not here to make you happy. Then the individual, which I may have hired, which may have joined us, that individual then has to find the alignment. We have to trust the young people, the middle-aged people, the experienced people to also be working with their side of the equation. So just think of the South Africa of 1994, when we were going to be a rainbow nation, when we had a big dream, we had a leader that painted a picture, a future so compelling that we all wanted to, to give anything for that. That's leadership. The what we then do as South Africans to fulfill that dream, that's back to us. So that's the, that's the, the sort of my perspective. Just to add to that, because I must have the last word, <laughs> is, you know, if you are so clear and, and you paint such a compelling, exciting vision, the energy comes from the individual. Wow, I want to be part of that. And this is what I can contribute. So it's almost the other way around. The individuals need to actually, because they understand it so clearly, it needs to come from the individual what they are going to contribute. So if you are not... <laughs> So if you're, not in an if you're not in an organization like that, you know what to do. But seriously, if you're not in an organization like that, you are not in your right place. I'm not saying resign tomorrow. I'm not saying in a country with 38% or 30% unemployment, do something irresponsible. But you have to do two things. You have to firstly find how can I make this organization something great through what I bring. And secondly, if you're in the wrong place, you're in the wrong place. I'm not a rugby player. If I was in a rugby team, not even Francois Pina could make me good. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Can we give them another round of applause? Thank you. Thank you, Bernard. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you. Um, we're going to pray in a moment, and, and Bernard and Tracy will come back up again and just pray together, and Pastor Andrew is going to conclude this moment. I just want to remind us of the following things, and I think it's very critical, whether you are... Um, leading a department or you belong to a department as we all indicated at the beginning of the sermon that in some form we are in a position of leadership and um, and they opened with this that that your mindset will determine the meaning that you derive from what you do and that really encapsulates and speaks about what the bible says as a man thinks in his heart so easy think the way you begin to view your life from, from this moment onward, if you see your, your work as just a job or a career, the way you view it will either derive or you derive joy from it or pain from it. And I think it's important that, that we change the way we see things, uh, that we begin to focus on what we are good at and our strengths. Another point that I think stood out uh, really so well for me uh, was that when you start to compare yourself to someone or when you get out of your lane, you start to compare yourself to somebody else, that causes insecurities. And a lot of the people that I meet with who have work-related things, they'll tell you, well, it feels like my other colleague is doing this or the other one is doing this or the other one is doing this. But when you understand that you are focusing on your strengths, when you understand that you are running in your own lane, when you understand that, that the other person is not you, that you stop to compare yourself to the other person, you actually realize you're doing so well. The only moment you are, you are so dissatisfied with what you do is the moment you shift your focus from focusing on who you are and what you're good at to focusing on what somebody else is good at and what they're doing. 
And because you can't do as well and as good as they do, you therefore feel insufficient and, and not good enough to do what they would do. Amen. And so may we just take all these things that these guys have said uh, as they're coming up to pray uh, with Pastor Andrew. Just, just, I feel like there's a grace that they carry to release on us. And I want us to stand in faith. Just receive the grace that God has placed on their lives. Amen. Can we all rise, please? You know, the reason we called this series Frontlines is because religion tells you that the church is on the front lines of ministry. When the truth of the matter is, those who are out in the world, in society, making a difference in how the world runs, that's the front lines. Where you guys go tomorrow, that is the front lines. You're all in ministry. And don't go away from this saying, wow, my boss is an idiot. He doesn't do any of this. Each of you has influence in, in some areas. You start to do this in your area. You've got a team of two people. We'll make it the best team in the business so they pay attention. You start to implement this because all of you have influence in some areas. Ask God for wisdom how to put this in place. The reason we've called people who are the best at what they do in the business world is because that's what most of you spend your time doing. And I think church is irrelevant if we don't address what your life is doing most of your time. Would you agree? And so whether you're trusting for a job or in a job or maybe you're a boss and you wanted to put this in place, I'm going to ask Bernard and Tracy to pray and release a grace and a wisdom that you would be able to put that in practice and then get their books. <laughs> but you, I'm just going to let you guys pray over. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for, for, for what you've put inside each one of us. And Lord... For those of us that haven't maybe found that or understood or really received it, we just ask right now for insight, for grace, for us to understand what you want us to be, for us to see us, us as you see us. And Lord, we just ask that there would be opportunities for us to release this, that we would see the joy, that we would see the best in people, that we would believe the best of people. And that we would, person by person, bring humanity to the workplace, change everybody around us, and really see the best of what we are all put on this earth to do, released in our workplaces. Through your precious name, I ask this through all these people, their jobs, their lives, not just in the workplace, but in families, um, with children, with spouses, that there would just be this ability to see the best. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, I ask for, the, uh, for us to be bold enough, each one of us, bold enough to accept that we are in a position of influence, whether it's with one, whether it's with many. God, let us accept the responsibility that you've imposed on our lives to influence people, to influence them in a positive way, to show through how we uh, interact with them, to, to mirror you, God. I, I pray that we all discover our Jesus mirror. The mirror we look into is like you see as Jesus. Beautiful, unique, amazing, with so many strengths, God. God, let us break those mirrors, that the devil mirrors, the, the ugly mirrors, that we are too fat, we're too slow, we're too this, we're too that, God. 
Let us never ever see that in ourselves anymore. And let us let us be the mirror, the Jesus mirror in other people's lives. Let's reflect the amazing beauty that we see in people, God. Whether we do that on a one-on-one or whether we do that in the workplace, God. But we pray that as uh, Pastor Mike has uh, reminded us, let us accept our responsibility to change the front lines where we are tomorrow, God, every single day. Thank you, God. You just extend your hands. Let's pray for Bernard and Tracy. God's put them in an incredible place of influence. They, they are dealing with people at the highest level, government at the highest level. I mean, God's just given them an incredible uh, space to speak into our nation. And I truly believe that some of the good future of our nation is going to come because of the work they're doing. And so, Lord, we bless Bernard, we bless Tracy, we bless Zach, we bless this family, we bless everything you've called them to do. Father, you've given them incredible influence, you've given them a voice, and we stand with them and we declare right now every assignment of the enemy against them will not prosper. Your weapons are destroyed. We command you to go where Jesus sends you. You may not touch them. We ask, Father, that angels would surround them and protect them. Favor would surround them as a shield. Give them audience at the highest levels. Cause the wisdom you've placed inside of them, Lord, to change this nation, to change every person, every company, every politician, every person who hears their message, reads their books. We're asking, Father, increased influence, increased open doors, and increased blessing and wisdom and strength and grace upon them. In Jesus' name, amen.